welcome back to the Bold and Virtuous podcast. It is wonderful to be back again and I have a very, very special episode for you guys today. Uh, funnily enough, if you want to hear a great story, um, I already recorded this. I had about 40 minutes of footage and it all got erased and GarageBand did not want to save it. So now I'm redoing it. <laughs> so if I if I tell you guys something and I say, oh, like I said before, and you're like, oh, you didn't say that. Uh, that's just because I'm doing this twice. So all, all the more reason for me to learn that much more from it. <laughs> but um, okay, so today we're going to uh, do a bit more on the creative side, if you will. Um, but it will be a little deep. So grab your Bible, grab your cup of tea, whatever you can, have a seat and let's dive straight in. Okay, so I'm going to look at the poem that I have on my blog, uh, boldvirtuous.com. So it's called The War of God and Man. So I have written this blog, uh, this blog post, this this poem a few, just recently actually, maybe last week or so. It hasn't been that long. And the experience that I had in writing it was quite quite exceptional. It was truly the Holy Spirit guiding me to write it. And I really, really felt inspired that God wanted me to not just write it, but now go deeper into what each passage means, what each line means, and particularly what the message of this poem is. So I I don't necessarily have time to go through every single line. Uh, There's about three points that I'm going to make in all that are going to hopefully really push our faith today, really help to grow us in the spirit, grow us in the word of God and help us understand him that much better. Um, But what I am going to do is I'm just going to read it to you guys and all. So if you want to read it along with me, you can find it on my blog. The the link is in this description of this episode. Uh, But you can also just have a listen right now and check it out later on boldandvirtuous.com. Okay, the war of God and man. There is simple in the truth. So why does man yet complicate to mix those colors when God said, use but one? What leads us to think we know and can do better? I'm sorry, Jesus, for the times we stand against and blur the truth for the sake of fingerprints. Forgive your people for this ignorance, lack of sharpness and respect. Why do we forget his power? Is he God or is it you? What if our hands lifted instead of carried? What if we bowed instead of ran? If we sang instead of shouted? If we just listened to the crown? We owe you everything, my king omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. How many truly know you, though? Do I, or do I merely hope so? Tell me what displeases you. Shine your light within. Let us not play, but truly worship. Bring honor to the king. Lord, you look at man, and that's all you need. All you need to love and cherish, all you need to bless and cover, just to know it's your creation, you just fix your eyes on me. Oh, sweet Jesus, I long only yours forevermore to be. Okay, so I 
I always, when I finish reading this poem, I always want to say amen at the end. But um, like I said, this this poem is truly inspired by the Spirit. So let's let's dive in deeper on what it is that God wants to tell us through this. And what exactly are we supposed to learn today? So the topic of this poem is actually the fear of the Lord and the reverence of that, that God deserves. And of course, speaking about the fear of the Lord is a very, very large topic. Um, so I'm obviously not going to mention probably even a quarter of all that this topic deserves and that it can be dived into. So if I do do another podcast on the same topic, then now you understand why there is there is a lot to mention. But um, so let's first of all, look at the first at the first stanza. So it starts with that there is simple in the truth. So what does that mean? That 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 speaks about the simplicity that the Lord, that the Lord Jesus has introduced us to when he came, died for us, resurrected and promised us that we can be saved through him. Uh, as it says in the very famous verse and the very, you know, the, the anthem of our Christianity in John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And verse 17 goes on to says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So it is, at the end of the day, there are definitely details that we can discuss that are part of our Christian life, that are part of us, of us being saved and what that means. But at the end of the day, what truly matters and what stands out for the Lord is that we are saved through him, that he loved us so deeply, just like it says in the poem, right? That right at the end, when it says, you look at man and that's all you need. You just look at his, he just looks at his creation. He says, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll die for you. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. Just, just let me save you. You know, there is nothing that will stop God from pursuing you once he sees who you are. And yes, and, and this verse clearly shows that we just need to believe in him and we will not perish. We just need to believe in him and he will save us. So the Bible clearly shows us what the secret is. The secret is to believe in Jesus as the one who saved us, the one who died for us, the one who loves us and the one who wanted to save us. And he is the one who was sent by God and who is called our savior, our reason to receiving God as our father, as our reason to being received as children into heaven. So it is somewhat simple. You know, there is some sort of simplicity to it. God did not want to make it so complex that that people would have the excuse of being like, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand what you meant. If we look at the Old Testaments, for instance, they had so many things that they need to do. They had, they had these rituals, these festivals, these um, the commandments, all of these things, especially when it came to the temple, like how the priests had to go forward, how they had to prepare, how, um, you know, when you, when you would sin or when you were 
unclean as 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 they put it you had to go and wash yourself you had to you know do these rituals seven times over or you'd had to to stay away from your home for a certain amount of time and then come back and even stay away from the city in order to cleanse yourself in order to have God cleanse you of that sin and not to kind of you know stain other people around you so there were there were a lot of um so, like so-called complications if you will um but when Jesus came he said okay all right you don't need to do all of that I see how humanity behaves. I've given all of these commandments, I've given all of these laws, and it is it is not working. People are still just being themselves, and it is still not enough. And God says, okay, I want Jesus to go forth and do what he was, what he was called to do. And at the end of the day, though, um, we, we do see throughout the whole Old Testament that God knew and was very much aware that he needed to send his son from the start. So that part was not him kind of suddenly deciding, okay, I've had enough of these people not obeying me, so I'm just going to send Jesus. It was, it was pre-planned. And he knew he would have to come to the sacrifice. And Jesus knew, but he did it. He still did it. He still did what he promised he would do, and he died for us. But like like this this first stanza of the of the poem says, we complicate things. We tend to turn things on their heads. We tend to add things. God says, "Come to me and be saved." And you know, we say, "Oh yes, to be saved, you need to say exactly these." words and if you don't use this pastor's word or if you don't wear this sort of thing or if you don't take off this sort of thing then you can't be saved like all of these things of course there are certain reasons why changes need to be made when we become saved you know like when we need to start dressing more modestly or we need to understand how we need to speak and what needs to change. But that's different. You know, that, that speaks about character. And the Lord will help us through that. The Lord brings those things naturally. And let's be honest, those things happen after you get saved. Um, you know, there are some churches that just say, oh, yeah, you have to go and you have to change your life uh, in order to come to Jesus. But it's not, God never said that. He said, if you believe in me, if you believe that I've been sent to love you, to die for you, and to be resurrected, then you'll be saved. That's it. Um, that's all. That's all you have to do. The rest, the character stuff, the things that you need to, in order to change, in order to become more Christ-like, that happens in your journey. That happens with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it alone. So don't try, <laughs> because you will fail, and and you will end up giving up the most precious and glorious thing the, the your salvation because you think oh no I can't do it of course you can't do it but Jesus made it possible through the Holy Spirit and through his blood and his incredible sacrifice for us so then the poem goes on to talk about how we as people tend to be a little bit um, prideful, let's say. And I did have this incredible amount of, I felt a real sense of re re repentance when I was writing the, the third stanza about, you know, apologizing to Jesus for myself and for all of humanity, because we do, we stand 
against and blur the truth for the sake of fingerprints. I really like that line. It, it basically speaks about how we, we tend to um, mix what God has to say with what we want or what we believe should be said because we want to have our own kind of print on it, if you will. You know, and this speaks to different doctrines, different churches that like, you know, for instance, off the top of my head, like the prosperity gospel, right? It takes the fact that God is good and that God provides and that God does want us to prosper. And it takes that, but it puts man's fingerprints on it in the sense that it says, oh, um, yes, God wants you to prosper. Therefore, you will always prosper. Therefore, if you come to God and you give him all of all that you have, oh, he will rise you up to be the best and the most richest and the wealthiest in the world. And you'll never be sick and you'll never go through any trouble. Everything will always be peachy. It's this, this prosperity gospel. And again, it was, it was birthed out of something somewhat biblical because God is a good father. He wants to bless his children and he, he, he's a provider. And like I said, you can find through the through the Psalms and through so many passages in the Bible where, where God wants to, to prosper his children. However, that is, that is an, a, a quality of God that comes out of his love. Whereas churches take that and turn it into a human thing and say that we can earn God's prosperity love, you know, that we, if we love him or do things for him rather, that will prove our love and that will make him bless us. So basically saying that um, we can earn God's blessing. And that is not biblical in any way. That is just man trying to, like, like, this, like this poem says, man trying to put his fingerprint on the word of God and on the truth. And that twists it and that makes it into something that no longer honors the truth of the gospel and of the word of God. Uh, of course, uh, the other line is is that is he God or is it you? And this is um, this is a real beautiful passage or line rather be because it does remind me of the Bible verse Luke six forty six, which says, "But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say?" Um, it basically speaks about how we treat God because we say, Lord, Lord, right? We, we treat God as though he is God and we, we admit that he is, but we don't obey him. We don't actually give him the, the honor that he deserves and we don't obey his commandments. We don't act according to what he told us is the truth. He just, he just asks, why? Why do you do that? You, you think I don't know? what your heart is doing you know man judges on on appearance but God judges on the heart you, you think that I don't see when you are working against me and you're trying to fool me why you know it makes me laugh seriously when we sit there trying to fool God how ridiculous even that sentence just makes me you know uh, it makes me laugh because 
it, it's what we do, let's be honest. At one point or another, I, I admit it myself, I, I've probably tried it as well. I, I can't think of a, a moment off the top of my head right now, but we, we do that. We have this tendency to think, oh no, uh, it's okay. Uh, God says I'm not supposed to do that, but uh, you know, it's kind of okay. We just, you know, think that, oh, we can, we can get away with it. <laughs> And we think that the Lord will miss it. Or we think that if we don't mention it to God, that we, if we don't come before him uh, in repentance or if we don't mention it to him, he will just forget about it and we can move on. Um, and that is the, equi the equivalent of trying to, to fool God. But don't forget that God is God and not us. We are not the ones who are God. We are not the ones who know what it means to truly live in truth. Only God knows that because he is truth himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and life. Jesus, he is the truth. Therefore, you cannot know the truth. You cannot live in the truth. And you certainly cannot have the truth in your life without having Jesus. It is impossible. And it's the same with the idea of respecting him, of honoring him as God. We cannot sit there and say, oh yeah, I have a God. But we do not give him the honor he deserves. So this is my third and final line, which is inspired from the, the line that I read, is he God or is it you? As well as the line, let us not play, but truly worship and bring honor to the king. Um, and that leads me to Jeremiah 9 23 down to 24 which says thus says the lord let not the wise man glory in his wisdom let not the mighty man glory in his might nor let the rich man glory in his riches but let him who glories glory in this that he understands and knows me that i am the lord ex exercising loving kindness judgment and righteousness in the earth for in these I delight, says the Lord. How beautiful is that? It is proof and proof and clear, clear proof that the Lord is not um, pleased and does not delight in those who take credit for themselves, those who trust in themselves. You know, a, a motto that I have in my life is always, do not trust in man. And it's, it's in the Bible. Do not trust in man, but trust in God alone. Because again, he is the only one who speaks the truth always and who will always, always lead you to light and away from darkness. Whereas man can kind of go back and forth a little bit, let's be honest. <laughs> um, but this passage is, is exquisite because it says, do not glory in your own might. And how many times do we find in the, in the church, in leaders, pastors, it pains me to say this, but they do, that they get to a place where they become so big, the churches become so big, things become so extravagant, or, and let's, let's not even talk about pastors for a, for a minute, let's just talk about the, the everyday Christian, the one who goes to the, to the church, and, and all of this stuff, we still have this tendency to jump to these places where we get to know God a little bit, we read a bit of the Bible, which is great, but we, it is so easy to start trusting in ourselves. It is so easy to start taking the glory for ourselves. When God uses us, 
and then we take the glory for ourselves. It is frightening. Um, you know, I one prayer that I prayed for a very long time in my life was, God, use me. This was a desire that I have had my whole life. I still have, and I probably will always have. I, I My greatest desire is to always be used by the Lord because I really believe that I am meant and called um, to to be a tool for Jesus, for him to use me to bring more of him to this earth. And I, I realized when I was quite young that when you're used for God, the things that you do and the things that you bring to the earth are everlasting. You know, they're eternal. Uh, everything passes away. But as it says in the Bible, the earth and the sky may pass away, but my word will never pass away. It's that same desire. That's where it was birthed in me. It was just always, God, let me speak your truth, your word, because then I know for sure that that will make a difference in this world. Let it not just come from me because I see people who try to change the world and that's all great. That's all beautiful. And it's still very admirable, but it will not last and it will not, it will not be eternal. Only what we do for Jesus will be eternal. And that is always something that I prayed for. And it, it went, it took a long time for God to really kind of unlock my my spiritual gifts and to really bring forward, you know, uh, my, my prophetic um, gift and my visions and discernment and all of this stuff. And, and but I'm grateful. I'm grateful he took a while because it it taught me not only to see why do I desire this, but to remember, hey, I prayed for this for a long time and God honored my desire, but he wanted to prepare me in advance. And he didn't want to just give me something freely so that I can take it and use it for myself. And I'm grateful because he knew me <laughs> and he knew that if, if I had gotten it, you know, just naturally or whatever, I most likely would have just taken the glory for myself. As it says in Jeremiah, I, I will just take it and, you know, sit there glorifying myself and exercising my own righteousness instead of his. And, um, and God knew that, so he prepared me for it. Other people are born with these gifts because they have a, an inborn humility, you know, where they're able to, to protect themselves from them. But obviously every person is different. But what I, what I want to say through this is that let us try and let, let us do our best to really fear the Lord, really truly reverence in him and treat him as king as the king that he truly is because he is not one to be to be dealt with lightly it says in in Ephesians 3 14 for this reason I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And then um, Paul's, Paul goes on. But what I love is that before he asks the Lord, before he uh, de declares with faith in prayer um, what it is that he desires for, for the Ephesians, for, for the people of this church, the first thing that he does before he prays is he says, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means that he, he first of all, gives reverence to the source. He, first of all, gives honor and, and praise 
to the one whose very existence has brought him and everyone else into existence. God is the reason that we are here. Let us not forget that we are not here by accident and we are not here based on our own strength or because we were able to do anything about it. You know, I, I said that once to a friend and, and she turned to me and she said, because she, she was pregnant at the time, and she said, yeah, but well, um, this this baby is, you know, is my own. And I said, yeah, but it's it's still God who gave it to you. And she said, no, I made it. I made it with my husband. And I just, I just looked at her and I smiled. Um, and honestly, in the moment, I didn't know how to respond because she was so sure of her, of her declaration that she was the one who made it. That all I, all I wanted to say was just, yeah, but did you create it? Are you literally consciously sitting there knitting this baby inside your room? No. Your body is the one who's doing it. And who made your body? Did you make your body? No. Again, God did. So, yes, you were a part of it because the Lord allowed you and he uses what we have to create something. But it still comes from him. So let us not forget who deserves the credit. Who does it go to? It is not because of us. It is not our own ability that does anything. And I think that when we truly understand that, when we truly grasp the fact that we were never the ones to have created these things, we are not the ones to have created life. We're not the ones to have created our health, to have created even our finances, our provision. Yes, yes, you've worked hard for it. And yes, you played a part in it, like a, a, a woman and a man plays a part in, in creating and in making a child. But you're not the one that it came from. You're not the source of it. At the end of the day, if God wants to, he can take it all from you in an instant. It is his grace. It is his mercy that allows you to have those things. It is his love for you. So how unfair is it when we magnify ourselves and we say, hey, we are, you know, we are the ones who did this um, and I'm the one who created this career for myself. I'm the one who did this. It is God's favor upon you. And of course, when, when we look at the world and, you know, people who have become famous and all of this stuff, you know, that's, that's different. It's, it's, there are also different elements that come into that and where the enemy is involved, of course. But if you do anything for God or you believe you are living your life for God and you see the success in your family, whatever way that is, remember who deserves that credit, who deserves that honor. What I also love about the line in the poem that says, let us not play, but truly worship it's about the understanding that worship is not something we should take lightly, just like the reverence and the fear of the Lord is not something we should take lightly. Um, you know, it's all over the Bible that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
Um, there is there are so many verses in the Bible you can find about the fear of the Lord. Oh my goodness. Just just search it up online. You will see it. It's it's phenomenal. It it's, speaks about how those who fear the Lord are blessed. Those who fear the Lord are people who hate evil, are those who God looks at with delight. And it is the fear of the Lord that should be our confidence. As it, as it says in Job uh, 4, 6, it is the fear of the Lord that is our confidence. And the integrity of our ways should be our hope. We cannot... We cannot live our lives thinking that we are able to do whatever we think, whatever we want, and just put God on the side there. You know, it really pains me when I see people praying and worshipping and taking all these things in so lightly. For example, you know, we have a, a verse in 1 Corinthians 14, um, and I actually recommend you reading this whole passage, this whole verse, um, sorry, this whole chapter, because um, it really speaks about the understanding of what a spiritual gift is and what it actually means to have the, the gift of prophecy and tongues, what is more important, and so on and so forth. Verse 13, uh, 14, it says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So it talks about how tongues are best um, are most fruitful when they are interpreted, especially when we pray for other people. Why am I mentioning this? Because um, quite recently I had an experience where I, I saw a Christian woman who was praying for another woman uh, who was in pain and she was praying for her for healing. And as she was praying, she just she just prayed in English very briefly, just one sentence or two, and then she just began to speak in tongues. Um, but as she was speaking in tongues, you know, she was just kind of saying all of these things and, you know, she started moving in kind of strange ways and kind of letting her body do all these weird things and she kept like clapping and tapping her shoulder and the woman, I could see the woman and she was just like, ow, that hurts, you know, don't do that. Um, and all I'll say is that we need to be careful how we behave in prayer, at the end of the day, right, um, when it comes to the supernatural and the spiritual in our prayer life, yes, it is there. I do not deny that. And I don't deny the gift of tongues. I, I, I have it myself as well as the gift of prophecy. And I'm not trying to, to be hypocritical here. What I'm trying to say is that we need to be discerning of what actually is the gift of tongues and what is us as it says in the poem, let us not play, but truly worship. Sometimes I do feel like there are Christians who almost play around. And that's how I felt when I saw this woman. I felt that, you know, I heard the, the spirit of the Lord just tell me, don't play with the spirit. Because uh, when you do that, there is a lack of reverence. There is a lack of the fear of the Lord uh, in you. And that really displeases the Lord. As we read, that it delights the Lord when we offer him the fear of the Lord. Um, and Job, Job was the one who feared the Lord. That's what, that's what put him on such a, you know, on, on such a centered uh, part of God's heart at the time because he feared the Lord. There is honor to be given to, to God. There is reverence to be given to God. And when we, when we take prayer, and when we take speaking in tongues lightly, it's 
it's disrespectful. It's disrespectful to God. It's disrespectful to that gift in itself and to the spirit, of course. And this, this passage, 1 Corinthians 14, this chapter speaks about how, yes, the, the, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy are important. But um, if you do, it says that Paul says, if you can, I would rather have the gift of prophecy than the gift of tongues because it will edify the church, right? Um, and it says, but if you don't have the gift of prophecy and you do have the gift of tongues, then at least pray for interpretation. Because um, as he puts it, it's just so beautiful. You can really see his personality in verse um, 19. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding than I may that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So it shows that the importance of the gift of the Spirit edifying the church. Um, and of course, this is a whole other topic. I can do another podcast on the gifts of the Spirit. But for, for this passage, what I'm trying to say is that if you see um, or if you are someone who tends to just, you know, if they're, you're praying in tongues to, for someone who is, for instance, needing healing or deliverance or whatever it is, just be careful. Be aware of what it is that you're doing. Where did you get your habits, right? Um, it, are you praying like that because the Bible tells you to pray that way? Or are you praying like that because you saw the leaders of your church doing it? Are you praying like that because, I don't know, your friends have done it for so long that that just seems normal to you? We need to always make sure that we take everything that we learn from other people and compare it to the word of God. No matter who they are, no matter what prophet they are, what what pastor they are, apostle, whatever their name and their title wants to be, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it is the Bible that we follow, not man. Do not trust man, but trust the word of God. Trust Jesus, trust the Holy Spirit. And even, and the same counts for me, even what I'm saying here, what I'm hearing, take it, take it and compare it to the word of God. Is there, if, if I'm saying anything that is unbiblical, don't take it and tell me about it because I don't want to, obviously I don't want to speak anything unbiblical. So um, I just want to emphasize the importance of discernment in the church, the importance of reverence and reverence and discernment are one in one. Um, when you have reverence from the, for the Lord, when you bow your knee to Him, bowing your knee before God is, is truly giving Him honor. And don't worry. Don't think that, oh, I've bowed my knee before, before this God, so I feel low and I feel diminished. <laughs> I mean, I can't say I've ever felt that way. But if that is the mindset that you go to, one, don't worry. Because God will always lift you up. He does that. He knows how to lift us up, when, especially when we humble ourselves before him. But two, it is an honor. And it is something so beautiful to bow before God. It is not like in the world, you know, where you, where you I don't know, bow before a, a queen of, of a country. You do that, you know, out of honor for, for their title and for what God has placed them in. Sure, but... It's different, you know, it doesn't mean quite as much. But with God, you're bowing to the ultimate king. When you pray to the Lord, pray 
with that fear of the Lord always at the foundation of everything, of, of how you address him, of how you speak about him, of how you pray for people. Um, you know, of how you speak in tongues, of how you practice your spiritual gifts. Don't push yourself to practice a spiritual gift just because everyone in the room is. Remember, this, uh, you know, practicing a spiritual gift is not about being popular and proving to others that you are a Christian. It's about standing with the Lord and being his mouth in the physical, you know. But don't, and don't worry. Because if you are not willing to be obedient and humble to let him speak through you and when he wants to speak, he will find someone else. And I don't know about you, but that was always something very motivational to me. When, when you hear that, you know, if you are not willing to let the Lord move as he wishes and to speak when he wishes, he will find someone else. And as I said, I've, I've always had the gr a great, great desire to, to be used by God. So it always made me scared almost because I'd be like, Lord, no, I don't want you to look at me and be like, oh, I need to use someone for me to be in the room and for you to say, I can't use her. It always pains me to think that that may, may be on the Lord's mind. So, and I never want that. I always tell him, Lord, I always want to be available and I always want to be aware but doing that means having reverence, respecting him for who he is, not playing around, not thinking that all of this is just, you know, oh, a fun thing here and there and you can take it lightly. You're, you're playing with serious things. You're playing with spirits and demons sometimes. You're playing with the, the reverence of the Lord, things that are very consequential if done wrong, you know. We should not take these things lightly. And to, to end this, again, I'm just making clear that I'm not trying to say that you cannot speak to God, you know, openly and honestly. Um, you can do that, you know. If you do feel upset with the Lord, if you feel a bit confused by Him, be honest with Him. But again, do it in reverence, you know. Do it in true hu humility, remembering that you're standing, or bowing rather, before the King of Kings. Okay, so let me just pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this wonderful time together with my, my sisters, God. Thank you because you have spoken to us so beautifully. And I thank you, Jesus, because your word brings life, God. It is not me. I put myself aside yet again in the name of Jesus. And I declare that you and you alone speak, Father, to every person on the other side of this microphone. And I thank you. Because you teach us, God, how to fear you and what that means, Lord. You teach us what it means to respect you. You teach us what it means to trust you above man. And you teach us, God, the truth of what it is to be a child of God and how to treat you as our Father and to remember that you are the one who's in control. And it is your fingerprints that we want on our life and not our own. Your fingerprints that we want on the word of God, your fingerprints on our church, your fingerprints on our beliefs, on our faith, on our hope, and not our own. So we lift our hands up and we give you full control. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all the support that this podcast has already begun to get. I'm very excited for all the new things that are coming up. 
Um, I'm not going to share anything yet, but I'm excited. Again, the Bold and Virtuous blog is in the description. Don't forget to check out the poem as well. And if you have any questions or suggestions, of course, you can put them on there. God bless you all. Have a beautiful week. And you're all in my prayers. Let's all be bold and virtuous together.